You are listening to the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. And for that, I apologize. Hello, and thanks for downloading the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. Recording live via via the internet. It's your old pal Sanders. Yeah, I'm your good buddy Liv. And if you are keeping score, this is episode 166. The Carl W. Getz School Edition. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That mysterious lead-in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give some context to the episode, I guess. Um, this is... Uh, 166 with... Carl Getz, is that his name? Carl, Carl W. Getz, C.W. Getz. Carl W. Getz, yes. A uh, long time in the making, this episode. It's a long time coming um, and probably will not live up to expectations in, in my mind, your mind, or anybody else who's listening. But um, I figure we, we owe it to ourselves to, uh, to finally get this episode recorded. But before we do, uh, some breaking news. At uh, <laughs> Friday at 9 p.m. on uh, on June 8th. Breaking um, news. This just in. What happened? Melancholy Happy Trails to uh, Anthony Bourdain. Yes. Melancholy indeed. Now, you're a little more tuned in to, to, to pop culture, to uh, celebrity... Du jour and kind of I don't know what would you call what would you call Anthony Bourdain? Uh, not a provocateur, but a, a celebrity foodie slash travel. Yeah, but um, he kind of uh, had he's like, like a raconteur almost. A raconteur. That's exactly. Yeah, that's I mean, exactly that's where he became for. because he that's his rise to fame was writing that book, you know, telling his stories about the kitchen. It was a kitchen confidential or whatever. It, that's he, what he lived. That's what leapt him in the stardom. That it, stuff. It, his his public persona lived Watched. some lived somewhere between reality television star, social commentator, and entertainer, right? Is that fair? Yeah, and I will tell you this much. Anthony Bourdain, a lot of acolytes of Anthony Bourdain were probably the type of people that Anthony Bourdain couldn't stand. <laughs> yeah, so we were chatting a little bit about this before. Just Here's like what I... people that love Catcher in the Rye, a lot of people who claim is their best book are probably the same type of phonies that Holden Caulfield was <laughs> scorning in the book. <laughs> Here's what I know about him, and it's not a lot. And he's from New Jersey. Yes. And yes. he reveled in that fact. Maybe not outwardly, but but a, a lot of his writings and a, and a lot of his or some of his writings and some of his commentary talked about how he had a, a, a connection to New Jersey and a connection uh, of where he was born. And maybe he didn't have that originally, but he acquired it over time. And the more he traveled and the more he got out to see the world, he realized 
what kind of of connection he had to to New Jersey, and I I, I relate to that. Yeah. So when yeah, I was, I think he still had a effed up upbringing, you know. Because when I was growing up, the the idea was to to go somewhere new. That's how you marked your your personal maturation or your your evolution or quote unquote success, right? You you left the place where you were born and you went to a town, whether it was in New Jersey or not. You went to a town that was a slightly uh, a, a slight elevation in class or stature, right? Yeah. My parents grew up working class and and working class at best and and poor, um, you know, in reality. To move to this, you know, kind of rural suburban town with a lot of property and a big house that you know that wasn't commonplace from where they came from um and that was like the evolution that's how you know you you succeeded because you did better than your parents yeah i mean that's that generation you know so that was my that was kind of my my benchmark my milestone is to is to get out of this place you know it's uh what's the we gotta get out. Get oh, it's your Pocono song. It's your Pocono yep. song, <laughs> right? Yeah, by the animals. So I went. I, I didn't want to go to college in New Jersey. I got out of New Jersey, and I didn't want yeah, to move back like, to New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, I know. It's, yeah, go on. Sorry. So I did. I traveled. I lived in D.C. and I lived in Boston, and then I went. I lived in Brooklyn, and I lived in in, in Curacao. But at the end of the day, I ended up coming back to New Jersey. Not only because this is where my family was, but I like. It. You're you're yeah. you're equidistant from two major cities, the beach and the mountains. Like yeah. geographically, it's a great place to live, which is why it constantly get certain parts of New Jersey constantly get voted, you know, best place to raise a family by Money Magazine, Forbes Magazine, whatever. So in in the last, well, yeah, because they have a lot of wealthy suburban areas because of their relationship to like New York on one side and Philadelphia on the other. Right? Yeah, you, you can you can make major metropolitan money and still yeah. have a, 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 a an in ground pool in a backyard, right? So I saw a little bit of a connection, um, although you know, it, to me, he seemed like I don't know, you know, he was a little a little rough around the edges, a little you know, a little steelier. Um, than, than I am, you know, we didn't have, it wasn't like, oh, I see him, you know, as a, as a role model or, or, or a kindred spirit. He was just a guy that, that liked something that I liked that I've come to like, and I could appreciate that. Um, and I didn't know enough about him to be super surprised, but I knew enough about him to be a little bummed because of, of the overriding message is that mental health doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Right? It just, I mean, you you take a guy who seemingly travels the world, eats what he wants, he's on TV, he's an author, he's a writer, um, but still mental health will fuck this guy up. And I mean, it's two days after Kate Spade uh, exactly. killed herself. Two or three days after she killed herself, and she was wildly successful and wealthy, and you know her name is associated with you know, you know, talk to any woman, Kate Spade. You know, yeah. So I don't think it was so much who it was, although 
you know that now that I'm just kind of saying it out loud for the first time, there is some, some, some to some degree, it's oh, I'm surprised that Anthony, you know, Bourdain killed himself, but more so what it was, you know, another suicide, man. That just, I, yeah, you know, it's something that's real that didn't used to be real. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know a little bit more about him in particular, and I think you you have a pretty good perspective, or at least a little bit of insight on, you know, to you, it's not that surprising. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't think it was that surprising because, I don't know, I mean, it just seems, he seemed like a tortured soul, you know? Yeah, I mean, it okay. seemed like that was the cause, the the impetus behind a lot of stuff he did, you know? Yeah. I mean, what do people do when they want to friggin' what do people do when they got a lot of issues? They want to go off places and stuff, you know? Right, right. Yeah, they want to go I, somewhere new. They constantly want to be moving. They constantly want to be active, you know? I mean, I understand that, you know? See, I didn't realize that he had such a history of of personal issues. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's a common thing for people that are in the restaurant industry, you know? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, he was a top chef and stuff. I mean, like, it's kind of the nature of the job and stuff, and it kind of gives in and attracts, it attracts those type of people because it's just like artists, you know? I mean, it's common with artists, the same sort of thing. And it's all the – it's a similar personality type, I think, you know? Yeah. Okay, so I guess that's the difference is like, you know, you think of, of people like Kurt Cobain or, or Hunter S. Thompson or any other – artist quote-unquote artist who yeah who had committed suicide you're like well that's what they do right they they burn the candle on both ends they're always running hot they're in the red and eventually their flame burns out right but you're right i guess the culinary arts are yeah i mean it's a similar personality type because it's a very independent like you're creating stuff you know you know, like you're coming up with stuff that's subject to everyone else's interpretation to judge your success, you know? Yeah, no, true. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. And I think it's a – and then on top of it, like, I mean, knowing several family members who were waiters and stuff and knowing, and knowing people that were in the restaurant industry anyway, it commonly attracts people who are – friggin got addiction problems for one i mean it's in the sense of like the type of stuff that like a lot of people like bourdain i know back in his day emerald was and a lot of guys are like this a lot of them are into like coke and stuff like that because it's it's sort of like the stock market thing you know you gotta keep going 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 you know yeah and then the other side of it there's a lot of people involved in that industry who are in it because you don't have to Friggin' be all buttoned up like, you know, like a dude that works a nine to five job and big fucking deal. You get pissed and leave your job and you always go get hired somewhere else when you're in the service industry, you know? Right. So it does attract a certain uh, profile of person, you know? Not that they're all like that, but there are a lot of people like that in that industry. Yeah. You know? So it's very sad that he friggin' killed himself, you know? I mean, like, and like you say, you. You see it gone on. You see, like, like you're wondering why, but it's like everybody's got their freaking demons. It's like he he was recording, he was filming one of his episodes, you know, and he did it. Obviously, it was something he was constantly battling with, 
you know? Yeah, so the regular people, people like you and I, um, but not you and I, the people that the post... <laughs> the people that the post the the link to the story um, without any, you know, commentary at one thirty in the afternoon on, you know, on their social media accounts. The the Joe Plumbers of the world say, oh, man, why him? He had it all. You know, like, why why would a guy like that? If I had all that, I'd be happy. I wish they were saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's why you text, you're posting a seven-year-old, a seven-hour-old news story. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, but what about those people? The that's not the question I ask, or that's not the question I ask is man, or or what upsets me is that we it's the twenty first century. You know, yeah. but we still live in a day and age where people like that have problems accessing the help that they need. Now I realize that's part of the of the issue, that's part of the of the disease, but it's still a stigma. Right, mental illness. There's, yeah, you know. but I don't even know if it's about access as much as like people are always going to be fucked up, you know. Like Anthony Bourdain had access to it if you want it, you know. Yeah, that's just what you're going to do. You're going to like commit him or something. Somebody's going to be like, "Oh, he looks messed up." It's like I don't know. There's you can't ever make everything a hundred percent fail safe, you know. No, yeah, but it's still. In order for it to be accessible, it's got to be accessible to the people who need it. And if they're not able to seek it out, it, it's sad. Cause we'll I, may, maybe I disagree it, with you because I think he could have sought it out. It's just that some people, some people intent on undoing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's what I mean. It's the nature of the disease that prevents you from... Access. Yeah, if you, if you, yeah, if you think there's some embarrassment component, but I don't know if that's the same for somebody like Anthony Bourdain, who's been very public with his battles in the past involving addiction stuff. You know, yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. You're talking about the component of people who might be too embarrassed to like go see a therapist, or you know, like I'm going to address this. But I don't know if that's the I don't think everybody who kills themselves is in that situation. And I don't know if Bord- and I don't necessarily think Bourdain was necessarily in that situation, you know? Cuz it's not like it would be like a big deal if I mean maybe personally he is, but it's not I don't know. I don't look at him the same way as like the high school kid or the college kid who everybody thinks has it all and doesn't want to let people know that he's thinking this shit, you know, and does it. You know, or the Joe Blow 50-year-old family man, because apparently those are the numbers where it's really gone up. People basically in Anthony Bourdain's age group. That's yeah. like the fastest growing suicide rate in the country. You know? Um, but I understand where you're coming from, but I think that's more effective with, like, with people like us than it is for, like, a Bourdain type of dude, you know? Yeah, I, I just think that, that in this day and age... That it's counterintuitive to committing suicide is counterintuitive, right? Like you're you're deciding a course of action which is irreversible. Yeah, I mean it's 
final. It's, like it's really the only course of action that that somebody can take that's irreversible. Almost everything else, you know, has an opportunity to improve over time. And I think yeah. that's that's human nature, right? Human nature yeah. is to is to fight or flight. Yeah, and you know what's nuts? I don't know. How did he die? I, How did I he commit suicide? Did, yeah. did he hang himself? What did he do? I, I know don't, I don't Kate know. Spade hung herself with a scarf around the doorknob right. in her apartment. Right. But um, yeah. Funny thing I was thinking about—not funny, but something I was thinking about. Um. Oddly enough, just the other day, uh, probably in between all this, it must have been a night or two ago, you know, about it's one thing if you shoot yourself, uh, hang yourself, something where it's immediate like that, you know? Yeah. What I was thinking about, the, the oddest circumstance must be these people who freaking take a bunch of pills and kill themselves. You know, because it's like you take a bunch of pills, you don't immediately fall asleep. You right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you're right. probably yeah. awake for a little bit before you fall asleep. You know, the circumstance where people do that and then like it's like, oh, fuck, you know? Yeah. And have the remorse. Because you know it has to happen sometimes. Sure. You know? Sure. And, and, like, and, and uh, you know, some of those people are able to reach out and get, uh, you know, and get the emergency medical treatment you know call 911 whatever um you know you hear that story every once in a while yeah but there's probably lots of people that don't that yeah, do that totally. you know totally and then and then of course there's the other element where a lot of people that don't as when they came to high school and explained that the Jewish family services complete a suicide uh because they didn't want to say it was successful oh right yeah 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 even yeah. though they were caught they didn't call failed suicides incomplete Oddly enough, they call them failed suicides or unsuccessful, which I don't know made no sense to me. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, just one final point, just to kind of t t tie it up. When I say in this day and age, what I what I mean is people don't die of polio anymore, right? No. As a society, we progress to eliminate the things that make society weaker, but you can envision this. Never going away, right? Yeah, I don't think it will ever go away. People will, mankind will always be depressed. We're never, it's always going to be a state of affairs, you know? You know, that's to me, that's the, the, the crazy slash sad part is that we've, we've got this thing in, you know, in mental illness that it's silent. You know, you can't run a study, you can't identify. Well, what I was going to say is like a lot of times the people that, really want to do something they just don't actually kill themselves they try but they don't and if they don't actually kill themselves it means they probably don't actually want to kill themselves you know right right, right. like it's like a, a call to action but i think you know just like you know there might be more murders at certain points than other murders but there will always be murders you know right um there might be more suicides at certain points than there are now uh, at, at other points, but they will always be suicides. But I think, I think they have to do their best to address it. And the people who like, who, who you're mentioning, who are, who are ashamed, the taboo of the whole subject, you know, yeah. cause that is that that's a huge deal. I just don't know if it, 
don't know if it applied to Anthony Bourdain's case specifically, you know, because I don't think it applies. I don't think the taboo part of it applies to everyone, you know? You know, just like you can have a kid who's raised in the best background ever, he still can become a murderer, you know? Right. Like, odds are those kids won't become murderers, but it still happens. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, it's depressing and it sucks, but, um, I mean, I guess the best thing you could say is, you know, he left a great impact on a lot of people and, you know, I mean, it's too bad he's gone early, but, you know, I mean, all the outpouring today shows you the impact he's had on people and as far as his views on travel and stuff and I, I, I didn't religiously watch his programs. But but I I appreciate his his views on the positives of traveling and getting out and getting into places you're not comfortable with, you know, because that's something I've been trying to do more myself in the past few years, you know. So I definitely appreciate his perspective on things like that, you know. And he also loved New Orleans, so you know, he was he. Anthony Bourdain, I think, was completely genuine. See, it's a lot of the Anthony Bourdain fans who are more annoying. Oh yeah, of, of course, right? Yeah, any, yeah. any, yeah. anyone who rises to prominence on that type of level in the way he conducted himself is—you're going to have some fans, or yeah. even maybe the majority of his fans who misinterpret. You know, his whole mojo or try to falsely recreate that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's how I was relating it to the Catcher in the Rye type of thing. There's lots of people like, oh, I love that book. You know, it really speaks to me. It's like, but you're the fucking phony they're talking about. You know, yeah, it's like Anthony Bourdain liked the good, really great food and stuff. And he would go. uh and eat with these great chefs because he was a great chef. But he would also he also had an appreciation for Waffle House, and you can Google that. And you'll find a couple articles about that, you know. And in Ed, just a couple of months ago, there was a hubbub made because he was spotted at the at the last remaining Popeyes buffet in Lafayette, Louisiana, a couple of months ago. You know, right? A lot of people who are like, oh, Bourdain is so wonderful. They would never. They don't have that open of a mind, you know? Oh, they would never find themselves in a Waffle House or a Popeye's, you know? And that's what I'm saying. Everything Bourdain, you know, he was completely, even though he could be refined and seem pretentious, at the heart of it, he was totally unpretentious, but a lot of pretentious people fucking loved him for that side of it that they view as the, you know... As the culinary excellence and opinion of Anthony Bourdain, yeah, you know, right. That's a good. That's a good point. That's a. There's a fine line between pretentious and unpretentious, and he he, by all accounts, was able to walk that line relatively relatively. Because he straight. wasn't pretentious. Because pretentious is arty for like the sake of being arty, basically. You know, right. He he was genuine. Like he fucking just knew. He was, he was a, he knew food, you know, yeah. I'll give him credit. So, yeah. well, I don't know. Would we be having this conversation if it was Andrew Zimmer? <laughs> I'd have to look up Andrew Zimmer. Zimmer. 
He's the one that does bizarre foods. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, you know he what? Travels all over the world and eats bizarre foods. Yeah, that lost me after. Uh, who's the other guy? Man versus food. Uh, Guy Fieri? No, no. Uh, You know what? What did Guy Fieri ever do to you? (laughs) (laughs) As Shane Torres. Um, Uh, Who's the... Who's... What's that? Who's the guy who did Man versus Food and then he quit and lost all the weight? Yeah, what's his name? Um, Adam Richman. Yes. Yeah, I don't have cable, but where was I recently? And I was showing something... I don't know if I was somebody's house or something, and Man versus Food was on, and it was like, and they were watching, or it might have been like I was at an office and I had on TV, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And I was some new dude. <laughs> they still got Man versus Food, but it's another dude. Oh, really? Yeah. Why wouldn't, they just yeah. Can- why wouldn't they just cancel it? Because obviously people like to see a dude trying to fucking eat. Like the uh, the frittata at Mother's Cupboard. It would be like if you and I retired and, I don't know, Goldberg and Steve-O started doing Two Sorry Excuses. Honestly. Honestly, <laughs> Goldberg. Honestly. I'm not saying it would be bad. I'm just saying, do we really need it? <laughs> I like the idea of it. I'm even doing the Steve palm to the chest as I say it. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I used to tell Steve-O he was the most honest guy I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and he could, they would go on for two hours about what was better, the sweet or the hot Italian sausage. <laughs> and whatever Goldberg said he made his pasta with was the wrong answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're doing all wrong. You need the hot Italian sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that that's so funny, but it just is. That it, it just, it just is. It's, it's absurdly funny. Oh, it really used to bother Shaggy. Well, bother all of us, but Shaggy would actually say some shit. Be like, "You're not going to eat this anyway. Why the fuck do you care?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Oh, lordy. Uh, well, I guess we can transition to lighter stuff if you want after we got past the Anthony Bourdain obituary and um, the but elegy. Is but is it lighter, Liv? Or are we going to open up the dark, deep recesses of my middle school adolescence? Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. I will... kinda, that's a dark time in people's lives, you know? Okay. It really is. All right, now I'll tell you this right now. It was not a particularly dark time. Uh, not a particularly dark time in my life. I didn't have a very super awkward transition into puberty. I, I went through puberty. I had braces and acne and bad hair. Um, but the, the, the upside to growing up in the mid to late 90s uh, during that time is... You look back on those pictures and you are you're amazed at the height of the hair and the popping of yeah, the with, collars. Yeah, with the big swoop. And <laughs> like the, the big... Yes. Yeah. And the co- United Colors of Benetton everywhere. So that really, you know, helps to kind of frame 
Um, and even though it's accentuating all the things that most most you know prepubescent teens are self conscious of, it it hides them as well. Right? Yeah. But even at the time, I was not necessarily. How would I? How, this is going to be picking nits and and really just just overanalyzing it. But I would say that in my preteens, I was not. I didn't have a ton of self confidence, but I had a high self worth. Does that make I sense? Gotcha. You thought highly of yourself, but you still couldn't go talk to girls. Correct. Correct. Because I had a lot of invested. I had a lot of, of, of investment in my self-worth from, from, from first grade on. Uh, you know, I tended to be top of the class and, um, you know, tested well and I was a safety monitor. All those markers of success monitor. <laughs> from eight years old to 10 years old or eight years old to 12 year old, I achieved. Yeah. And in my town, it wasn't a small town, but it wasn't uh, overly uh, overly populous. I had probably, I don't know, maybe 180 to 100 kids in my grade um, in elementary school. So the, the pool was big enough that if you rose to the top, you weren't necessarily uh, a small fish in a small pond. You were a medium fish in a medium pond. All right, and because my town had limited sports leagues, I got to meet some of the other kids that I'd eventually go to middle school with through athletics, right? Whether that was baseball yeah. or, or or soccer. So that's the big thing, right? When you when you become that's why middle school is so debilitating for some kids because not only are you going through puberty and you're fucked up emotionally, physically, mentally. You're getting thrown into this pool with a bunch of other people who are going through the same process, and you don't yep. know a lot of them. Yeah. Because four or five schools are coming together. My town wasn't like that. I met a lot of new people, but I, I had a connection to a bunch of them from the time, you know, I started. Started to become social as a is an eight and ten year old, you know, playing sports, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever. There were a lot of activities that I met a bunch of kids. So going off to to middle school um, wasn't that particularly traumatic to me. Yeah. It should have been looking back on on these yearbooks. So so uh, burying the lead here. Wh- why this all matters is because at some point over the last few months. Um, my dad pulled out uh, a bin from storage for me that had what I would call my uh, my not not my accolades, but my my mementos. Yeah, right? when I left box when I left for college or when I left when after I graduated college or whatever, and my parents broke down my room. Um, you know, I gathered up the stuff and, and I was pretty realistic. I, I didn't take everything I owned. Like I had a bunch of track medals. I just took the, the most important one. I threw the rest of them away. I, you know, I kept my yearbooks. Um, I kept a couple scrapbooks, but nothing, you know, not like everything I had ever done. Um, so everything from eight years old to 18 years old was reduced to this box, and in that box, 
uh, were a couple things I wanted to get my hands on, so I had asked my dad to dig it out for me, and he did. And while I was rooting through that box, I found a bunch of yearbooks. But the ones that stuck out to me were my middle school yearbooks. Because unlike all of my siblings, my middle school experience was two years. All my other siblings, uh, or all my siblings had at least a three-year middle school because at some point it transitioned to sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And then I think okay, it so was fifth, so sixth. So you went sixth and seven? Seventh and eighth. Or just seventh and eighth. Okay. Seventh and eighth. And um, so I have these two yearbooks, and I started to thumb through them because I thought it would be fun. First, I started to thumb through my high school yearbooks, which I hadn't seen in a while. But those are particularly boring because I don't know about your school, but we didn't sign yearbooks until senior year. There was no reason okay. to. You, you, you came back to school and you saw the same kids, so you weren't going to – you know, yeah. at that point, you're not going to sign your. So you weren't doing like they do in the movies, where it's like, "Have a great summer." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I have no experience at all because our yearbook wouldn't come out till the next fall. You get it at book day. Yeah. Okay. So that's super interesting, because yeah. my high school yearbook, at least my senior year, has some, uh, some signatures in it and it but it's very small it's it's the, it's the group of guys who i became most friendly with at the end of of senior year or during senior year because i was the out of towner right i came yeah. into a school with a bunch of cliques from from various catholic schools and, and you know it's schools. funny about that like when i went to jesuit like uh i entered an eighth grade class See, most kids enter in eighth, and then some would come in ninth. Probably like another 60 kids or so would come for ninth. But most kids, the bulk of the class would enter in eighth. And I came there where it was like, I think there was like 28 kids from my grade school that chose to go to Jesuit, you know? But yeah. then you have these schools where it was like one kid. I was like, man, that's fucking vicious. Because it is so terrible being ripped out of co-ed schools and insert it right as a awkward 13 year old into a all male environment like that. And you're the only one of your kind there, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. And that, that was, that was a pretty good description of what, what my high school experience. And that's another situation that I probably should have been, uh, you know, more apprehensive or more nervous about starting because I was the only kid from my town who was going there. And each grade had a kid from my town, but I didn't know those kids. Yeah. So um, going into high school and then, you know, my high school yearbooks and, and whatnot didn't weren't a real good – the high school yearbooks were not a, a, a very good representation of what my high school experience was. But oddly enough – these these middle school yearbooks I'm I can't tell if they are a good representation or a false representation. I'm going to guess they're a good representation because they were the reality at the time, right? But yeah, looking back on them 30 years later, um I'm like, is that is that real? Is that what it was like to be in middle school because I don't have those um, you know those memories that whether traumatic or or otherwise that some people have with middle school but I will tell you this 
for a time that wasn't particularly strenuous for me, I opened up these. Uh, I opened up these these books. Are you? You're not a Harry Potter fan. No, I'm not. I'm an adult. So, <laughs> oh, meow! Look at you. <laughs> you're so sophisticated. Okay, I'm an adult when Harry Potter came out. You know, the book that was intended for what? children. What do you mostly read? Catcher in the Rye? <laughs> yes, you know that. So, but when I when I cracked them open, I which read Harry Potter sitting on the train with the Harry Potter. <laughs> when I cracked them open, uh, which was probably for the first time in about thirty years, it was like uh, in Harry Potter they they put these these memories in something called the Horcrux or. Okay, uh, I've heard of the Horcrux. This was like a Horcrux. I opened it and then I watched this 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 green vapor, you know, yeah. ascend from the pages, and and it gave me like a weird pit in my stomach. Almost, this is why I question whether or not my memories are are accurate representations of that time period in my life because I got this like pit in my stomach. Like I was entering what I probably should have felt when I was entering seventh grade for the first time back in 1986, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why. And I don't know why. And I'm looking through this and um, there's nothing that points to a, to a memory that I've repressed. That's like, oh yeah, that's why I felt that way because I fucking It's not like the, what a big nerd I really was. Right. Right. Yeah. Because nothing in this tells me that other people thought I was a nerd. What this tells me is that other people in seventh grade were just as dorky as I presumably was. That's the thing. Everybody really was. You know, even the cool kids you look at now, it's like, this guy was the cool kid. Look how much of a dork he looks like in this photo. Yes, correct. Some of the memories that I do have, and this is probably just uh, pre-adolescent hormones was that everybody who was older than me seemed much older and pretty good looking (laughs) you know what i mean you know what i mean and looking at these pictures i I understand why i thought that i understand why a prepubescent kid uh you know would have those memories because everybody it's it was a relatively wasn't an affluent town, but it was an upper middle class town for the most part. And everybody's wearing the fashion at the time and, and is has makeup on and, you know, has their hair done and spiked hairdos were the in, yep. in vogue at the time. And you Can know, I they, set the uh the scene for everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you yeah. know, it's the mid to late eighties. Friggin' the United Colors of Benetton and Dayglow clothing are all the rage. Max Headroom is is all in the news, all over everything with his Pepsi commercials, and Paul Abdul is tearing up the airwaves. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> that's basically what it is. That's basically what it is. A it's young Matthew DeSantis's middle school experience. <laughs> so there was I had a unique position um, in in the. Uh, in the hierarchy of of Carl W. Getz Middle School. I was born in 1973, but I was uh, a late birthday, as you know. I'm a, I'm a November yep. birthday, so so I missed the cutoff date. 
But the way sports worked, especially soccer, which I grew up playing, um, it was based on your calendar year, not your school year. So 1973 was um, was a particularly um, talented athletic pool. For anybody listening, you understand how much older Sanders is than me. He was born when Richard Nixon was still the president. <laughs> I know you love that, you Ford baby. <laughs> yep, the smallest generation. Yeah. <laughs> so, I there were a bunch of kids who I grew up playing soccer with who didn't necessarily go to my elementary school, um, but were 1973 had a birth year of 1973 as well, and they were a grade older than me. Yeah, yeah. And so not only did I play sports with my dad was the coach in some of these instances, and these were all good kids. Um, so I knew a bunch of eighth graders going into middle school. That's probably what helped. So you had cachet. A, a little bit. I definitely was at the at the at the bottom of the totem pole with these guys because these kids Naturally. ended up becoming state champion, um, the state champion soccer team when they were seniors and I was a junior um a couple of these kids are um are in the discussion of greatest athlete in New Jersey of all time in New Jersey greatest Hmm. athlete definitely in the shore area like these are from an athletic standpoint um these 1973 was a was a good year and a lot of more good kids they weren't you know your typical Are they are they more renowned than the Jersey Shore's own Doris Burke? Uh, As a matter of fact, in the New Jersey circles, yes. Okay. I only learned she moved to the shore when she was seven years old. That was a New Jersey dot com article about Doris Burke. What was it? Manasquan, I think it was. Manasquan, yeah. Manasquan. Manasquan. Okay, that's how they say it. On the national level, um, obviously not. But there's a few guys who went on to play professional sports or um, had entertainment careers, whatever. It was a it was a pretty good incubator for talent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I knew some of those guys, and the soccer tryouts were over the summer. So before you even go to, um, before you even go to your first day of school, you've already been acclimated to the kids who you're gonna meet from other from other areas, but I, for the most part, I already knew them. So, and it was like where I went to high school. It was a high achieving Catholic school. So you're drawing a pool of kind of above average kids to begin with. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was a relatively good experience and they were all nice kids. So, um, you know, there's a couple bad eggs in there, obviously any, you know, there always is. Any population is going to have that. But even the worst, even the kids who ended up going to jail, we're, we're yeah, still de- school. decent enough kids. You yeah, know? yeah. You're not, a drug, you're not a drug <laughs> dealer when you're 12, 14. No, you know? not at a, not, and you're not at the school too long if you're friggin' selling weed or something at one of those type of places, you know? And I was smart enough, and I was just athletic enough that I got by. There weren't any problems. I could hide when I needed to hide. I could stand out when I when I needed to stand out. And okay. It was all good. Um, but you wouldn't know that from from the the signatures that I got 
on my seventh grade in my seventh grade yearbook. Oh yeah. And, and I don't think that that's a reflection of me. I, I honestly think it's a reflection of the time, and I think it's a reflection of that that age where. So yeah. that's the year you you. This is your middle school graduation. No, no, this is seventh sev- grade. No, seventh grade is the first year in middle school. Oh, so okay. That's why I get screwed up because yeah, 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 yeah. Right, you went to essentially you went to your to high school. Grade. Yeah, there's grade. no no yeah. middle school experience. Yeah. So, so my yearbook uh, starts out. It's uh, let's see how many pages it is. It's your typical middle school yearbook. I don't know. It's probably. 70 pages, 70, 80 pages. It's, um, and for our more curious listeners out there, no, Carl W. Getz is not related to Bernie Getz, the famous subway vigilante of New York City. Correct. I'll tell you the <laughs> truth. I don't know who Carl W. Getz was. I'm sure he was a, a prominent educator, uh, in the yeah, town, but probably like you know, superintendent of schools or something. He didn't, uh, he didn't have, uh, an impact on the town other than the school you know it's not like there's a statue of them or you know we sit around on carl w gets day you know which is on may 2nd yeah and this is the day we all drink um decaffeinated coffee because that was carl's favorite drink right exactly exactly (laughs) so a couple of the highlights of my seventh grade uh, my seventh grade experience were the following um I didn't make the soccer team. I didn't expect to make the soccer team because at some point um, around 10 years old, the, the travel team started in town. And um, I did not play on the travel team. I and I'm going to guess your school is a good soccer school because it was an all-Catholic boys school in New Jersey, which okay. is a big soccer state. All right, so here's here's what you also have to remember is I didn't go to Catholic school until high school. Yeah. This is the public school. Oh, you didn't make the seventh grade soccer team. I didn't make the seventh grade soccer team. That's kind of how bad. Oh, you sucked that bad. Yeah. Now, <laughs> two things. Two things. One, as I mentioned, these kids went on to win the state championship in a state yeah. that is very steeped in, in soccer tradition. Yeah, so you're going to have a good soccer team anyway. Yeah, so they were very good. And then I didn't go to play at the higher level with them because I wanted to play baseball and I wasn't allowed to do both. So yeah, okay. uh, soccer was a year-round sport uh, in New Jersey. So I went to play baseball in Little League and then I played rec soccer while all these other kids went on to play um went on to play um, travel soccer. So that, I didn't make the soccer team. But I wanted to do something athletic, so I joined the wrestling team. Okay. Because everybody made the wrestling team. Y'all had wrestling in seventh grade? Yeah, and we were also very good wrestlers. A lot of the same kids who excelled in soccer also excelled in wrestling, so it was an easy transition. I knew a bunch of these kids. I knew a bunch of these kids. In addition to uh, being on the wrestling team, I was also in the in the advanced track class, uh, taking algebra as a seventh grader, um, which was which was pretty advanced. And I was also in the gifted and talented program, as they as they like to call it here, yeah, uh, in New Jersey. So those were some of the highlights. In addition to that, it was a pretty nondescript first middle school year. 
And it was so nondescript. There's only a handful of kids that I even remember. My brother, Josh, is a lot better at remembering and, and actually befriending some of the kids that I went to middle school with. Because Josh is two years behind me. And he's friends with a bunch of guys that I went to middle school with. And I remember them because my brother's kind of friends with them. But I'm looking through this book... And, and I don't know who a lot of these people are. But I do know one thing for sure. Is that KIT, Keep in Touch, was... was <laughs> that was the hot shorthand. That, that was the hot shorthand. And Psych. Yeah, well, that was a big 80s thing. Psych. Right. I'm looking at the first page of the book. You open thought up... Thought you had a friend. You know, people would extend their hand out and pull it back. Right. Psych. Thought you had a friend. So here's a, here's, here's a great one. Uh, first page, first signature in the book is Matt. Cheer, cheer, hear, hear. Hear the beer fall down. Now lick it up off the ground. Eat the brown. Psych. <laughs> good, because I, I got wor- I would have gotten worried there if I actually would have had to eat the brown. Uh, good luck next year in eighth. You're real cool. And Chris <laughs> loves and Chris loves you. Psych. Bye. Dina Powell. Now, there's two things about this that 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 strike me as odd. Is one, I don't know who Chris is. K R I S. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Yeah. But obviously, this is a person that should have had some type of impact in my seventh grade existence because Dina Powell informs me that Chris loves me. The other thing that strikes me about this is I don't know who Dina Powell is. And because the the yearbook is arranged by homeroom and not alphabetical order, I'd have to search through every picture to figure out who Dina Powell is. And I'm not about to commit to that. So what did Dina Powell do? I don't know who she is, but she used psych twice in referencing uh, shit and beer and informs me that that, uh, Chris uh, is in love with me. Who I'm assuming is a girl. Although. Or it could be, be a joke. I can't be positive. But it's K-R-I-S, which is typically a, oh, a girl okay, spelling. Yeah. Then that's the, this is the first signature in my book. Second signature is Matt. Roses are red. Lincoln is dead. His cabin is empty. And so is your head. In parentheses or bed. Double parentheses. Psych. <laughs> Good luck in eighth grade. Glad you made it. This is another prevailing theme. Glad you made it. Um, like as if I probably would not have made it. Yeah. There was a chance that I could not have made it. Uh, that And that's brought to you by Kelly H., who I also don't know who Kelly H. is. Hmm. Oh, but here's some. here is a potential insight to the Chris dilemma. Or the Chris question. Because on the next page, it's Matt. Don't be worried. Don't be blue. A lot of, of poetry in this uh in this class here matt don't worry don't be blue frankenstein is ugly too don't worry that's psych (laughs) good luck next year you are cool keep in touch chris with a k who who i guess is in love with me which is nice um according to dina powell have you been able to find chris in the yearbook no because i'd have to search for chris with a k um yeah, but how many people were in your grade? Yeah, maybe like 150. 
But like I and said, this show we've been planning for three months. You haven't had enough time to fucking look through the yearbook and find out who Chris is, who's <laughs> clearly in love with you thirty years ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, I just, uh, I never thought to uh, to figure that out. You know, <laughs> you know, like Chris, who's Chris? <laughs> I probably should have done a little homework on this. Um, but all right, that yeah, maybe. made the show more intriguing. I guess might as well just end now. Might as well end and come back in another three months when you have time to look through the yearbook. <laughs> all right, let me scan very quickly. Let me scan very quickly because, like I said, I thought problem... you guys tell me no. There's two thousand kids. We're like, all right, I guess that's a lot, but still, three months you can find out who the fucking Chris was in there. So my guess is that. Is that those people are eighth graders, um, but that's you know now I gotta skim the whole school. Yeah, why don't you just look at your grade first? Ah, uh, Chris. Is he gonna be a Kristen or Christine or something? So okay. Yeah. Now, see, that's where I got confused uh, for a little bit to begin with, is that Christine, with a C, was actually uh, my, I think she was my seventh grade girlfriend. She ended up being my girlfriend in eighth grade as well. But um, that would not, she would not have signed. Okay, so let's see. Linda Salig is there. Oh, Christine Spangler. That's Chris with a K. I don't know who Christine Spangler is, though. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's somebody in eighth grade, or maybe you just... No, maybe it was like the thing where anybody would sign your yearbook, whether you knew them or not. She's in seventh grade, but uh, I don't... Uh, you don't have memories of that? I don't have memories of her in particular. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Kirsten, I remember Kirsten. Maybe it was her. No, but that's that's different. That's Kirsten, you know. Yeah, but no. But if you go by shorthand version, no one's gonna go by Kier. Because then the yearbook gets a little weird for a while. It says, "Dear Matt, you don't know me, but I know you're fat and ugly, and I hate you. Love, Mrs. X. Not Miss X. Mrs. X." At this point, she was ready to commit to to a life of of coupledom, but not someone ugly like you. And ugly, which is weird because I weighed 135 pounds in seventh grade. I know that because I wrestled 135 pounds, and I actually <laughs> weighed less than 135 pounds because I didn't have to cut weight. I wasn't a good wrestler, so I ate whatever I wanted, and I wrestled 135, and it was no big deal. Um, I don't think. That's all that fat, especially by today's standards. I was chubby. Yeah, well, because you handles. still got the chubbiness for being a little kid. I was soft, but you look at my face. I had a, I didn't have a double chin. I had defined features, you know. Yeah, but I, I guess at the time, and and I guess in the eyes of of other prepubescent teens, um, yeah, maybe I skewed fat because because I get a couple of those in here. Matt, you're fat, and Christine is unlucky. But Christine with a C, not Christine with a K, uh, 
You're fat and Christina's unlucky. See you next year, Marilyn. I don't know who Marilyn is. But despite the fact that I was ugly uh, and not good enough for Christine, Marilyn apparently was looking forward to seeing me next year. Um, this is one I, I read. It was a little disappointing when I read it. But I didn't see the psych at first. The psych is off to the side. It says, Matt, I hate you. And I wish I never met you. Don't have a good summer. Not your friend, Trisha. D-K-I-T. Don't keep in touch. <laughs> but uh, she she identifies that as a, as a big psych out. Uh, a little in the margin here. Trisha is, is, is I'm going to guess, Trisha Alaco. Patricia Alaco. Trisha. She was commonly referred to in the 80s. And uh, Trisha Locko was in my kindergarten class. <laughs> she had no choice but to meet me. We were basically in every grade together from from kindergarten to eighth grade. Um, and it was disappointing because she was a she, she she was a sweet little kid. Um, but again, the power of the psych gets to take that all back. I guess that's budding sarcasm. Yeah, I mean that's what kids are doing back then. That's the way you do it. You you cut people down, right? Yeah, that's that's what I was saying earlier. That was the big thing kids would do. They like they go out to give you a shake your hand or give you a high five. They pull it away and they say psych and they they swipe it behind their head, you know, above their ear, alongside their head. And they go psych. Thought you had a friend, you know. Yeah. It's like psych. You're actually a loser. I don't. <laughs> That was cool when you were fucking before you got to high school. Yeah, okay, I guess so. I guess so. You don't remember people doing that? Yeah, like, and then you do the thing on the side of your head. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. Right. Um, you have some friggin'. You have blocked out some memories from childhood, huh? Yeah, I guess so. So. You, you don't even have memory of any of these fucking people. <laughs> huh? Like, I guess I must have known this person. <laughs> So this was this was one that was a little disappointing because it was, it's from Jason. I can only assume that it's Jason Kohler, Jay Kohler, and Jay Kohler sticks out in my mind because he was really the first guy that I became friends with that I didn't have any other exposure to prior to middle school. Okay, right. So um, my 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 buddy Devin. Uh, who I grew up with and played baseball and nominally I'd call my best friend. Um, we went to elementary school together and Doug Bloomberg, we've talked about Doug Bloomberg. Yeah, um, good old Dougie B. Dougie B. He, we went to elementary school together. But Jason, Jay Kohler, um, uh, Jay Kohler is, is who I would consider you know a friend. I made a friend on my own. And so this is disappointing, but I don't know if it should be disappointing. And maybe I'm putting too much pressure on 12-year-old Jay Kohler or 13-year-old Jay Kohler. Um, because this is, what he, this is what he signs the yearbook as. Matt, what up, dude? Good luck next year and stay cool. I, I, we're off to a positive start, right? Yeah. I'm cool in his eyes. This is I got a rhyme. God created sea. God created sky. When God created you, he must have been high. Jason. Um, which I guess in retrospect, a pretty, a pretty cool, 
a pretty cool signing of a yearbook. But I, I, I was kind of hoping for more from Jay Kohler, you know? Like, glad we met. I'm glad we're friends. I think we're going to be friends forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't commit to that, which is, which is disappointing. But what's even more confusing now is I turn the page, and there's another entry by Jay Kohler. I don't know if he forgot that he had signed the book, but it's the same handwriting, it's the same signature, and it's the same trope where he, you know, he delivers a kind of a a poem and he says, "What's up, dude? Hang loose and stay cool. Party all summer." Uh, again, that's a pretty good start if you think yeah. about it, right? He, you know, maybe he wants to party with me, not just go out there and party. He says, "Remember the Alamo, remember Maine." Which I believe are inside jokes. I'm going to guess those are inside jokes because we had a history teacher uh, who was kind of the butt of our seventh grade jokes, Mr. Irby. He was kind of like, you know, probably a mid-40s dad kind of dude. Yeah. So he was always kind of joking around. And I don't know if he was married or if he was a swinging single guy or whatever. But he, he he made that impression on us. Uh, Remember the Alamo? Remember Maine? Remember Miss Williamson who drove you insane? So... Uh, really, maybe Jay just wanted to to show me his his poetic chops. Maybe that was his way of connecting with me, you know. Yeah. Maybe I should cut him some slack and, and yep. take it take it for what it's worth, right? Yeah, um, I think you should lay off of your friends from thirty one years ago. I'll tell you who I'm not cutting any slack because apparently he didn't cut me any slack was Howard. And I know Howard. (laughs) I know Howard. I know Howard. He says, Matt, I hope I never have to sit with you again. I'm not kidding. Your friend, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) You still know Howard? (laughs) I don't still know Howard and I barely remember Howard. But I think I um, sat with him on the bus. I think we had signed seats on the bus. Okay. And, uh, And Howard was an older kid he was in eighth grade and i think that's what the problem was was he was stuck sitting with a seventh grader man assigned seats on the bus yeah that's tough one tough one yeah um but on the jay kohler page it's a very important page because there's some other things here uh it says matt i'm gonna miss you over the summer no one to crack on hey life's tough all over love bonnie l-u-v bonnie and then in parentheses, don't take this too seriously, pointing to the love. As uh, as, just in case. But Bonnie, uh, Bonnie was in every single one of my classes until sixth gr- until seventh grade. Did you have a crush on her? Not at all. Oh, okay. Not at all. And she didn't have a crush on me. That was for certain. There was she was almost like frenemy didn't exist and frenemy would have been too strong, but it was like one of those things, like you show up for second grade and Bonnie's in your class and you're like, oh, Bonnie's in my class again, and then when, you know, third grade comes, and Bonnie's in your class again every year, and then it became, like, not a joke, but, like, that was the running theme. Yeah, there's Bonnie. Exactly, and her mom and my mom were kind of friends, and um, she was just ever-present. She was omnipresent in my middle school, in my middle school years. A couple others here. Matt, you're ugly. Oh, you're gay. You're gay and ugly. 
and Christine is too good for you. She's very massively unlucky. You're all, you are also a fat fuck. <laughs> now that's a Jersey kid. Yours truly, Miss O. Not Mrs. O. Miss yeah, O. A 12-year-old kid calling you a... A 12-year-old female calling you a fat fuck. That is Jersey. <laughs> Ho- wait, hold on, though. Psych. Psych. You know, so I can't... T- I don't know. Did she really mean it? Was she... You know, did she really think Christine was too good for me? Do, do these girls, Mrs. X and, and Miss O, uh, really have something for me that they're jealous? You, but then you would think they'd take it out on Christine. Yeah. You know? So that's unfortunate. Um, Matt, hey, glad we became friends. So, Hey, glad we became friends. Sorry I ever liked you. Psych. Only kidding. Don't forget me. I won't forget. Uh, I don't know what she won't forget, but she was only kidding. On that as well. See you yeah, in give her a break. She was only kidding. Missy. So she's kidding a lot in this. She psyched the only kidding, and then she had an only kidding, and then she, it's like, what's it when you put a negative minus a negative, but you put them in parentheses, and then you negative the whole thing? It's like intr- intransitive properties or some shit like yeah, that. I guess that'd be a triple negative, right? Yeah, I don't. So I, I don't know where Missy stands here, and I don't know who yeah, she yeah. is. But she liked me at some point, which I guess is pretty good. Yeah. Considering uh, that I actually end up with a seventh grade girlfriend, to know that there was at least uh, at least two other paramours. There was some competition for you. You know, forget about Chris with a K and 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 Missy. I actually got. I had a girlfriend named Christine. Uh, the back page here is just a virtual shit show. Um. Alan Gutierrez, this is a good one. Matt, you and I are really crazy, but we're we're still the same in the end. Alan Gutierrez, signed Alan Gutierrez. Fucking Alan Gutierrez. Which is great because Alan and I actually became pretty good friends in eighth grade. Um, Jay Kohler and I, we kind of drifted apart, but uh, but Alan, that's probably where I should have sunk my emotional investment into Alan Gutierrez. He was a good dude. Yeah, he was a good dude. He was he was a skater dude, but he was really smart. Um, and really funny. I'm last I heard Alan Gutierrez got drunk and fell off a roof when he was like in his early twenties. I don't know if that's true or not, but hmm, I wonder what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else here. Matt, remember the Alamo Ted? I don't know who Ted is, but the Alamo must have must have been an inside joke. Um. Matt, I hope you grow some grass over the summer. Ha ha. I think we'll get... Do you think we'll get stuck with Doug B? That's Doug Bloomberg. Next year. See you next year, Jim. That's Jim Doyle. Uh, Jim Doyle was in my was in my grade. Uh, we were in the gifted and talented class together. Okay. Jim Doyle probably was the... Was either the valedictorian or the salutatorian of... Uh, of... Um, Jackson High School. Smart kid. I think he went to MIT. Oh, damn. Le- legitimately smart. Um, let's see. Who else we have here? Matt, have a good summer. Drop dead. Scott. 
Scott, I know that kid. He was a douchebag. <laughs> he was a douchebag. Matt, have a good summer and lose a few tons. Steven S. Fucking Steven S. Not even like psych. There's no psych in there. I, he literally wanted me to lose a few tons. Now, here's my favorite part of the yearbook. Did you ever go and lose a few tons? Uh, no, unfortunately, I just kept gaining tons. Maybe I should have listened to Steven S. Yeah. Just instead of keep gaining weight, I should have taken his his advice as constructive as opposed to mean. Yeah. Uh, my he favorite... was just, he's like a good football coach, man. He's just tearing uh-huh. you down to build you up. Exactly. Uh, my favorite part of the yearbook is is in the top margin of the back cover, I have in my own handwriting. <laughs> 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 My own handwriting. Marianne, 928-4751. I'm going to guess that's Marianne McBride's phone number. As we may find out, I have a whole other 8th grade yearbook. We're certainly not going to get to it tonight. But I, I, if this was... Uh, if this was any prelude to that i don't know if we're gonna get to it at all but maybe maybe next time we'll we'll delve into it but um marianne mcbride was no, nothing voted. nothing is better material than you going through a yearbook <laughs> of people who you do not remember <laughs> that, and that nobody not your partner or any of the <laughs> listeners have any clue who these people are either so less than compelling Unless perhaps they're forty-three to four, forty-two to forty-five-year-old guys from the Jersey Shore, you know, or Central Jersey. <laughs> well, maybe they might know. <laughs> you know, maybe one of these names rings a bell with Josh DeSantis, or maybe Jeremy. Maybe, you know? maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Um. I don't know. Maybe by chance, Laughlin's like, "Oh, I met that guy." You know, <laughs> I don't know. Right, we did have some crossover. We did yeah, have some crossover. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're like, "Oh, I remember Diane, Debbie." You know, <laughs> Marianne McBride went on to eventually be, I believe, the queen of the Valentine's Day court. Oh, that's big. That is big. Might have been voted best looking as well when they did that sort of thing, um, but. She was a real sweet girl. She was a real sweetheart. Marianne and I uh, had a special connection because she went to church every Sunday, and I was an altar boy. In in the secular world of public schooling in, in Jackson, there wasn't a lot of crossover between church and school. Okay. And Marianne was... Otherwise, there was no way I would have been an altar boy for that long. But... Um, Marianne and her family came, and um, I got to see her outside of school. So whenever you see anybody outside of school, right, you uh, you have a you have a connection with them because then there's no there's not that pressure to conform to to you know to social norms of 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 middle school kids. You can just either be regular and either a regular douchebag or you're not. Yeah, and, uh, Marianne was sweet. She was real nice, um, but. She did not sign my yearbook. She was in my class, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Let me see if I can find my my homeroom real quick here. 
forget what. 114, I think I was. Yeah, Matt DeSantis. There we go. Oh, Marianne McBride. Marianne was in my was in my homeroom, um, but did not sign the yearbook for whatever reason. Oh, Stephen Schaefer. That's Stephen S. Fuck you, you little douchebag. Fucking Stephen Schaefer. He was always a dick. Um, but Marianne was definitely in my class here, and um, for some reason I got her phone number, but but did not get her to sign my yearbook which i don't know what's more telling is that she was willing to give me her phone number or that she wasn't willing to sign my yearbook <laughs> um but here's the big here's the big tease right seventh grade so now that i'm remembering seventh grade i don't remember the the potential suitors in chris or or missy i don't look missy up name would have been Melissa. Right? Okay. That's short for Melissa. Missy. Um, but I did. I, I, I had a seventh grade girlfriend that I met at the end of seventh grade, which is a tough place to meet a girlfriend. The end of a school year. Yeah. Because you, you can't drive. You can't do anything. Like You're just kind of like, oh, I met this girl and I got a girlfriend and then... You, you know what's funny about that? <laughs> I went to the movies today. I'm thinking about this day where you Because what would you do? Your parents would probably drop you off to the movie theater to hang out with her or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a Friday night because that's what everyone did in seventh grade. Because I remember that in seventh grade, we'd all go down to the Galleria, which was like less than a mile, probably a mile away from my house, you know. And there was an AMC movie theater in there, and that was the hangout. Yeah. You know, and they had the video case. So since I'm only working like half days on Friday, yeah, just by choice right now, because I'm like, fuck it, you know, I could have stayed in another four hours and maxed out the hours, but I'm like, fuck it, I, I like the idea of friggin' having half days on Friday. Yeah. I, yeah. I went to lunch with Jacob and afterwards, because before he even asked me to lunch, I was kind of planning to go see a movie anyway, then I looked it up. I was leaving, I was like, oh, you know, that movie starts right then. So on the way home, I went and stopped at the theater. I went and saw Solo. So I got out of the theater. It was 7 o'clock, and I'm walking out, and it was officially making the transition to to 11 to 12-year-old <laughs> social night at the movie theater. I was like, oh, yeah. look, they're all here. <laughs> now, here's what here's what is is – there's some insight into – into my younger years as the firstborn child of two firstborn child of two firstborn children. Yep. The leash was very short when I was growing up. The, the running joke in my family, which is okay to tell because it is a running joke and it's been around for a long time is that my sister who's eight years younger than I, uh, was allowed off the driveway on her bicycle the same day I was. <laughs> right, and we've talked about the granimals that I wore to school till like sixth grade. <laughs> you know, I was a very sheltered, older, uh, firstborn child. And now we're talking. Now, in all fairness, we're talking back in the days with Code Adam and and you know Stranger Danger and all those yeah. misplaced social anxieties um, that they made into television movies. Thanks, John Walsh. But I. Didn't I didn't have a very robust social experience as as a young child 
especially going into middle school. Then, to compound matters, when I became of age to have a social life and get a girlfriend, uh, my parents made fun of me. (laughs) (laughs) They needled me. My mom needled me. You know, oh, Matt's got a girlfriend. Who's your girlfriend? You know, it was not very, it was not a, it was not an environment that fostered social exploration. Yeah, I understand. So I didn't go to the movies on, you know, on preteen Friday. Um, I didn't get dropped off at the mall. I wasn't allowed to do any of that shit. And I certainly wasn't going to tell them I wanted to go with my girlfriend. I was very sensitive. I was a yeah. very sensitive young boy with weak hands. <laughs> <laughs> weak hands. <laughs> so, so it was tough. It was tough to be like a 13-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid who's uh, in seventh grade. And, you know, you're st- I didn't live in a development. A lot of these kids that I hung out with lived in the other part of town that was were, were developments, and they could just you know ride around the development all summer and hang out and whatever. Um, I, I couldn't really do that, and I certainly wasn't going to make it known that I had a girlfriend because I didn't get a lot of positive feedback from my early. Uh, not not it wasn't like a footloose situation where they forbid me. You know, they're, they're yeah. parents, and their kid is going through puberty. And he's having a girlfriend. They're having a little fun with it. Same, I do the same thing to Cole, you know? Yeah. I try not to, to hit on the situations that, that, that were particularly sensitive to me because I figured they're still sensitive to, you know, a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or whatever. But I'll have some fun at his expense because that's what you do. You think I would have learned yeah. a lesson, but I didn't. I try to be fostering, but, but you know, old habits die hard. So anyway, I... Can't help it. You're a jerk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In your nature, it's your blood. <laughs> so, um, I I got this girlfriend at the end of seventh grade. I think it was real casual at the time. I mean, I guess seventh grade girlfriends by definition are casual, but um, we didn't do much. Maybe I hung out with her once or to- twice over the summer. Um, but she says, Dear Matt, I'm so glad we met this year. Uh, and if we didn't meet, the year wouldn't be the same uh, without you. Keep up the spa, which I guess is a is an inside joke. Uh, love Christine with an O. Not not a U. And she didn't say yeah. psych or don't take it seriously. Uh, and then she says, P.S., keep in touch over the summer. And she gives me her phone number. I'll tell you what, That's a, now that I see that phone number, that's a phone number I probably, if you pressed me for it, Three six seven six eight five eight. I probably could have recited that if you gave me a few minutes to to search the annals of my of my long term memory. The annals or the annals. The annals of my long term memory. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have come up with that. Um, yeah, but that's it. Yeah, no, it's weird. Those numbers, like, there's a couple like that, you know. Or there's like four two three three eight four nine. Remember that one. Three eight four nine. Is that eleven oh six Madison Street? Yeah, pretty sure it's eleven oh six number. Yeah, three one five four seven two four seven two one. Fagans. Uh two oh one two 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 four five five nine. That's my grandmother's phone number. So yeah, that that would have probably been one that I could have pulled out eventually. Um but that, that that was nice, right? If 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 looking back on it, that's 
if I had a 12-year-old son, I would hope that his 12-year-old girlfriend in seventh grade would write something like that. And the number's been given away. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, Justin Rivera, 1030 Danforth Street, Syracuse, New York. Oh, no. Yep. Yep, but look, the second search is like one of these things that has all these... Um, Associated... Uh, associations that I can see in the, like in the top before I even click on it. It's like eleven hundred, blah blah, fourteen hundred Madison Street must be. It's like a directory, Syracuse, New York, and it's like Aaron Goldberg, you know, <laughs> Matthew Livingston, Mike Peters. <laughs> Mike Peters should be in there. Yeah, it's, let's see, he's on there. Anybody who ever listed this is their number on anything. That's the issue, I guess. Right. Let's get eleven oh six. Rebecca Gilly, that she had a different number, but it's Goldberg and me. I don't know of anybody else. I know I had to list that type of stuff on like um, background checks when I did um, law school. You yeah, know? yeah, places you live. Taking a bar, you know. So I wonder if that's how it ended up on there. It's Goldberg and me. It's funny. Uh, so that's that's my seventh. Joe Romano. Joe Romano had that number. How did Joe Romano? Well, they don't have. He didn't have that number. He had four two three three five zero eight. Did he live nearby? Uh, yeah. He's from Syracuse. Right? He's from Syracuse, but he also lived like next door for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's the residence. Well, it says eleven or six Madison. He might have listed it on something before. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay, that's weird because this wasn't on there years ago. Because I remember I used to do Google searches of my name every now and then. This never came up. Oh, the web is. Uh... Oh, Sarah Bowman. I know her. She lived there. She was. Um, she's an actress now. She was. She lived there two years at. Like she was moving in, the year after the year after I moved out. You know, like once I graduated '99, when I was living seven oh eight, the next that summer she was moving in. I did a little brief, uh, sublet the, at eleven oh six. I was friends with her boyfriend. He's like, he's like, I got Sarah, Sarah's living at this house, so you, you, you can go stay in your old room. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I went and stayed in my old bedroom at 11.06 for like two months, <laughs> which is very weird. All right. So that's my seventh grade yearbook. Yeah. Well, that was fun. <laughs> um, what are the... Um, you got another uh, part of this or something? Well, I listen. I think an hour and a half of this is is plenty. Uh, the eighth grade yearbook is really where where I make my money. Uh, because as we find out, um, and I cannot remember exactly why, but uh, Christine and I had a falling out. Um, which is it's Christine, the seventh grade girlfriend. Christine's the seventh grade girlfriend. She was also my freshman year girlfriend. Um, which I'm not exactly sure why we would have taken eighth grade off, but um, it, it there's enough evidence here to let me know that something went south somewhere. Damn, man. She can't believe it. She signed my yearbook probably like six times. Including an entire page that she then crossed out a bunch, which is interesting because I don't 
This seems like the better show. This is. I think this is the better show. This almost sounds like that Nathan. Nathan, for you, um, friggin' finale season finale <laughs> episode, which was like a two-hour friggin' documentary about this guy who posed as one of his characters in a couple of his stunts who goes chasing after his high school girlfriend from sixty years ago. Well. All right, then let's let's hold on to it. Then let's a uh, couple reasons. Yeah. One, um, that's a lot of Carl W. Getz school for any one person to digest in one night. Um, two, I know you wanted to get to the basketball game, so so I think we can make that a reality. And then this will give me a chance to go back and try to find some of those people um, that we left open ended questions about. For example, Chris with a K. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll tie up some loose ends from 7th grade, and then we will move ahead uh, to the 8th grade, which the is a much more robust yearbook in terms of yeah. signatures. And I'll be straight with you. I'm fading right now. All right. So, um, so all right. We'll hold on to that. We'll hold on to that. Um, although, <laughs> although in this book... Also, I have in my own handwriting uh, phone numbers, apparently, of people who did not sign it, <laughs> but were willing to give me. You should just start <laughs> random. That should be the show. You just start calling all those numbers and recording them. Uh, yeah, like, this is Matthew DeSantis. You signed my yearbook in 1987. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's when it would have been, right? Eighty-eight. I graduated eighth grade in uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Oh, the eighth grade one. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah, nineteen eighty-eight. You signed this yearbook. Um, trying to figure out who who lives here. Who who was it? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't leave a name, just the number. Although things must have uh, must have turned for me in eighth grade because here's the first here's the first signature in my book. Matt. Hey, Buttwinkle. It was cool being your friend last and this year. Stay looking hot. Good luck next year. Yasmin. Oh, it's intriguing, Yasmin. Yeah, I'm going to guess it was Yasmin. It sounds exotic. Yasmin Verdi. Because uh, there probably wasn't too many Yasmins in my grade. Um, I think Yasmin might have been a late bloomer. Uh, okay. And I think she only bloomed for a short period of time and then unbloomed, but... Either way, um, I'm guessing that's who that is. Tough crowd here, man. <laughs> Tough crowd. Unbloomed. Uh, you know what? That's unfair because she did tell me, she did say, stay hot. So that was, that's not very. Yeah, I and mean, then you're going to sit here and say, yeah. Her. What the fuck? Listen, I gave her some, I gave, I gave her a high period. Yeah, then you took it right back. <laughs> <laughs> A lot less psych in eighth grade. I don't yeah. know if I had, had made... These Jersey people are tough, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one thing I will notice is that there's a lot less psych uh, in eighth grade. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't... Because you've gone through puberty at that point. People have grown up a little bit. Yeah, and maybe that was the thing about the eighth graders when I was in seventh grade. They all, they all seemed like adults to me in their look and their action, you know? Yeah, because I don't remember. Once I got to Jesuit, which was eighth grade, people weren't doing psych anymore. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like one of those little transitions. It's funny. All right. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. That's such like a childish thing, psych. You know, 
And like, although I'll be straight with you, 12 years old, man, I still say that was the best year of my life. Uh, I would not say that it was the worst year of my life, so I'm there with you. Yeah, 12 was great. You know, it's the first, like, little sense of freedom I remember because it was like, you can go ride your bicycle and you can go ride to over to your friend's house and go to the baseball game by yourself on your bicycle and ride home at night, you know, like under the cover of darkness, right, you know. Right. And then and you're not dealing with all the trauma of gone through full on puberty and you haven't been ripped out and thrown into the new academic setting yet. You know, you haven't been ripped out and thrown into the Lord of the fly situation. That is an all boys high school in eighth grade as a new kid, <laughs> <laughs> but it totally is right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So yeah. we're going to, we're going we're gonna to hold on to eighth grade, uh, till next time. Um, well on that note, <laughs> With apologies to Girk's brother. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you then, man. Adios, Rito. Mm-hmm.